God's word together. All right, you can give that a round of applause. There's, uh, there's good work that's being done all across the globe in the name of the gospel, which uh, we can get excited about. So good morning. Morning. All right. All right. Welcome. My name is Brandon Weir, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to be with you today, and, and I think there's only one fitting way to start off this message today. Let's go Rangers. Come on. Yeah. Hey, nope. Listen. Listen. I know some of you are Astros fans in here, and it's hard getting over what Adolis Garcia did to you. I get it. I totally get it. But what we know is that if you look in the scriptures, what you'll see is the serpents are bad. I'm just saying, so you, you pick your lot. You either wanna go Texas Rangers or Serpents. That's your choice. I'm just gonna let you do that for a second. Um, I did, yeah, I, it, was, it was very, very exciting. Now, let's get on to something maybe a little bit more eternal within this. Um, I, I wanna highlight and just start with you today talking about Donnie's ending from last week because I think, I think that that is a really great launch point for us, but something that I really would love for us to settle in our hearts. So I'm like, I'm, I'm there and I'm listening to the sermon. And I'm like, yeah, like I'm getting jacked up, which, you know, that means like I'm getting excited. Um, actually, I taught at the youth service uh, this past weekend, the fall retreat, and one of the kids came up to me afterwards. He said, man, your sermon was cracked. And I was like, cracked? He's like, yeah, cracked, like with a D? And he goes, yeah. I was like, is that good? And he's like, yeah, man, that's good. And I'm like, okay, all right, cracked. So Donnie's ending last week was cracked. That's all I know. Um, Man, I really hope that doesn't mean anything bad. <laughs> it's one of the youth's fault if it does, if it does. Um, but, you know, one of the things he's talking about is he said, you know, one of our problems in like our Western mindset is that when we read the scriptures, it's all about us, right? And so when we read Joseph, we see him forgiving his brothers. And what we do in that moment is we go, hey, who, who do we need to forgive? And Donnie said he read like six different books. You hear him talking about like throwing the book across the room. And, and I really think that that is something that is really important and powerful for us to understand is that, look, the totality of the scriptures, yes, are you important to it? Yes. I'm not saying that we're not. We have a part to play within that. Are you the focal point? You're not. And that's a good thing. Hear me when I say that. It's a very, very good thing because if it's about you and it's about me, it's really gonna be messed up. But it's about God and him revealing himself. And so what we see in the story of Joseph is yes, we see a person forgiving his brothers who have done horrible things to him. But even more than that, what we see and what we're reminded of is the forgiveness that God holds out to each and every one of us. As messed up as we are, that God would still love us and care for us and still hold out that forgiveness and that opportunity to be in community with him, to know him, to save us, to all those things that God holds out to us, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've been through. I mean, that's a beautiful picture for us and something that, that we need to know. And so this is why, I, I, and the reason I wanna highlight is I think that this is really important. Whenever we think about Acts chapter two, whenever it's talking about the early church gathering together, what they say is they said that they were devoted to the teaching. And what I think, in our concept, sometimes we think like, I show up to church and I listen to sermons and that's good. No, no, they were devoted to the teaching. And the teaching that they were devoted to was good and right kind of teaching. And so we wanna be aware of the teaching that's going into our minds. And whenever it is something that's from God, it opens our hearts up towards him. It doesn't make us focus on ourselves more. It reminds us of how good that God is. And so it just kind of opens the pictures up in a new way. And so when there's good teaching and we have those moments, it opens up the scripture and all the pieces begin to fit together. And then we go, man, how good is our God? That's what good teaching should do for us. I can explain it this way a little bit. So I have a regular like eight to five job. And so we sell, I sell like plumbing and appliances and hardware and lighting 
to like custom builders and they go in and do these fancy homes and do all that kind of stuff. And so uh, just a short way of saying, I sell toilets. Like it's pretty easy, right? Like I sell toilets, like it's, it's fancy, I know. Uh, and so I'm there and this custom builder calls me. He's like, hey, I need you to come over. And like whenever I was coming over, I thought we were just gonna be like looking through product and kind of going through and making sure everything got shipped. So we're sitting there, I'm counting it all off. We're going room by room and I'm like, it's all there which is good, hey, way to go warehouse. Like you did awesome, you did your job, you did what you were supposed to do. And he's like, hey, hold on, just, just one more thing real quick. He starts loading up my arms with all the product and I'm like, oh gosh, what are we doing? And so I've never seen plans of this house. I don't really know much about this house. And we start walking around and we go into each bathroom. He's like, hey, so like, uh, where do you think all this stuff goes? <laughs> and I'm like, it's like all roughed out. And I'm like, well, this is a shower head. I think it would probably go up there. You know, like we're like talking through it and we go through every room of the house and we do this and I'm like, we get done and we're finished. He goes, man, thanks so much. Like, I just appreciate you walking through each and every room with me. And I'm like, yeah, bro, I don't know if I would ever ask you to build my house for me. Like, honestly, like, you mean you're the builder? You don't know where this stuff goes? Like, and I'm guessing, I'm like, I think it does. So hopefully those people's house ends up okay. But it's the difference, right? When you have a master builder, you walk through it, you see the different things and then how they fit and like the scriptures begin to open up. And today, what I want us to see is that yes, man, there are some really, really powerful moments that happen in this. And our hope is that God's goodness and his mercy, that our eyes will be open to that in, in a new and a different way. And we'll have this fresh understanding, this fresh enlightenment, this fresh joy that fills our hearts as we walk out. Because we need that, right? Because what we know is we know that like all of the scriptures, they point towards Jesus. John chapter five, verses 39 through 40, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. He's not talking to some dudes that just showed up and sometimes come and sometimes are a part of this, all right? He's talking to the religious leaders. And he says this about them. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, they being the scriptures, that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so the charge that he's holding out against these people is like you spend all this time in the scriptures, like you're devoted to the scriptures, like you're studying them and you're constantly looking for eternal life and you're completely missing it. You're missing that it all points towards me. It's all about me. So this is Jesus saying like all of the scriptures, they point towards him and the redemption that's gonna come and it can only come through him. And in this invitation at the very end of like, Come, that you may have life. This is what the scriptures do, is that when we point them towards Jesus and we allow it to speak over us and it's done in the right way, they bring life and they bring joy. And so we're gonna walk out of here today in joy, knowing that the mercy that God has for us is never ending. Because we're gonna see it in Egypt, right? We're here with Joseph, we're in Egypt, and we're gonna see mercy even in the place where we don't expect it to show up. And the reason I say that it's not where we expect it to show up is because it's not the promised land, right? This is not what God had promised them. And so they're there, they're dealing with famine, they're dealing with you know, uh, the food not being what they need it to be, they're dealing with you know, selling their, their brother into slavery, Joseph's dealing with being sold into slavery. And so we get this kind of middle moment here in the scriptures where we go, this isn't what God has. But even in those moments, we can see mercy and we can see goodness. All right, let's open up to uh, Genesis chapter 43, verses one through two, it says this. Now the famine was severe in the land. So we got this famine that's happening here and we know that it's severe. Some great biblical breakdown right there, isn't it? So famine, no good, not good, in case you didn't know that, famine's not good. Uh, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father, who's Israel or Jacob before that, he's been renamed Israel, he said to them, go again and buy us a little food. So just in case you haven't been following along, you're not keeping up, it's your first time here, whatever it may be, Joseph, 
guy in the Bible, he has these dreams. He talks about how he's going to like rule over his brothers, and they don't like that very much, so they sell him into slavery. And so he, they first they want to kill him, so that was at least a better option. So then they sell him into slavery, and he goes to Egypt, and then he kind of works his way up in this one house, and then everything falls apart, and now, now he's in prison. And then Pharaoh hears about how he can interpret dreams, and so he ends up the number two over everything. Like, it's an improbable story, right? Like, there's no way that this could possibly happen, but it does. And so Joseph is number two. And so those same brothers that sold him into slavery, there's a famine that happens in the land, and they come, and they're at his feet. And they don't know him because remember he looks like Snoop Dogg that's what that's what Donnie said and I'll never forget that he looks like Snoop Dogg or whatever he's got his head shaved he looks like he's looking cool he's all dressed up all those things and so they don't know it's him and so they're begging for food basically from their brother so he sends them home with all with all this food but then he takes and he puts all the money back in their bags and so they get home and they open the bags they can't wait to eat and they're like oh there's the money and they're fearful. They're like, oh, how is this going to go? All that kind of stuff. So now we're back at the place where they've run out of food and they have to come back once again. And so they're coming back and, and what has been told to them is like, hey, you have to bring your brother Benjamin. And so when we're looking at this, like it's kind of got this ominous tone over it. And the reason being partially is because it's part of it's famine. Like, like famine does crazy things to you. Now, I, I know the state of our world a little bit, so I'm sure there's some people in this room and there were in last service because somebody came up and talked to me afterwards who lost their job recently. And you're sitting in here and you're wondering, how am I gonna feed my family? How am I gonna take care of them? Am I gonna get hired again? All these people fighting for jobs, like, am I gonna be okay? This is famine, right? They're sitting there, and Jacob, Israel, the, his sons, they're all going, how are we gonna feed our family? How are we gonna be okay? What does it look like? And so when Jacob looks at them, he says, go again and buy us a little food he makes it kind of nonchalant, like, hey, just go to the corner grocery store, it'll all be okay. Go to H-E-B, you know, pick us up some guacamole, some pimento cheese, whatever. Like, just go buy us a little bit of food. It'll all be good. But within this, there's a big ask that's there. There's a hard and difficult thing. If they're gonna be traveling away, they, they left in kind of a weird situation. There are other brothers, Simeon's there. And so they're kind of wondering, like, what's gonna happen over all this? So there's just this cloud that settles in this moment. And this is exile, Right? Because all of the biblical narrative is, is, is kind of doing the same thing, especially before, there's a little bit before this and a little bit after this, but you think about Adam and Eve. They're there, they're in the place that they're supposed to be. They're seeing, they're eating, that God has created this for them, and then they make these decisions, and they're in exile, and they're pushed out from Eden. And, and they know that there's a redemption that's gonna come, that God's gonna do something in and through his people, but they're living in the tension of the in-between. It's Cain and Abel, Cain kills his brother, He's exiled from their presence, living in the tension of exile. Here again, Joseph, exiled to Egypt, living in the tension of in-between, of the redemption hasn't come. And we know that this is foreshadowing into Exodus, once again, where they're going to be exiled and live in the tension of in-between, of like, this isn't what God has for us. We know that he's gonna redeem, and we know that he's gonna bring people into their promised land, but this isn't what God has for us. You see, this is the tension that each and every one of us live in. Because not only is it a biblical narrative and it happens over and over and over again, this is the whole of creation. This is the whole of humanity. That each and every one of us, I mean, we know that we are living in exile. We know that we are living in tension. We can see the wars around us. We can see people getting laid off. We can see the economic conditions. We can know how many people are going through mental health things. All these things that we could wrap up and go like, this isn't what God designed it to be, right? You're with me, are you? You know that it's not. You feel it in your bones and in your soul. 
But what the hope and the, the promise that we have is the redemption that only comes through Jesus, right? And so this is what we cling to. And so we're in this moment in the story where we're going like, God, are you gonna show up? We get these questions that we wonder about and we're gonna see his mercy, his goodness show up. And I'm gonna show that to you over and over again today just to help it nail home. Now, three through 10, I'm just gonna kind of story tell it real quick. So he says, hey, go do this. And J Judah steps up, he's the fourth son, but he kind of steps up in this leadership role in this moment. He says, hey, um, by the way, don't forget, that guy said that if we came back, we had to bring Benjamin. He's like, oh, we can't have Benjamin. Benjamin's my favorite son. This is Israel talking. He's like, you can't have him. He's like, no, 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 we, we can't. But here's what I'll tell you. I'll step up in his place, and if something happens to him, let it be on me. Now, if we just read this at face value in English, like we're like, okay, that's cool, like good story, all those things. But if you read in the original Hebrew, it's got this context and the wording of it would point your mind directly back to Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham is asked to offer up his son. And then what does he do? He's faithful in it, he goes to it. He's about to basically slaughter Isaac right there as a sacrifice. And then what does God provide? You can say it out loud, that's okay. The ram, right? God provides in that moment, God provides a sacrifice. And so you're reading this and you're like, oh, this is very Abraham and Isaac. But instead of God providing a ram, what you have in that moment is you have a son who says, I'll take his place. I'll step up for the punishment. And what we do in that moment is we go, this is the lineage of Jesus. This is the story of the son who says, I'll take their punishment. Let it be on me. And ooh-wee, that'll preach, right? Like, like this is totally Jesus in this moment where we go, yes, the lineage of Jesus is all pointing towards a son who will take the punishment on himself. And so he responds in this moment, Israel does, to, to Judah's offer, and he says, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds, which sounds delicious up to this point, right? Like, okay, we're good, we're on board. And we read that, and look, we're like, man, so specific. But just a few verses, chapters earlier, what happens is that when Joseph is sold into slavery, and he's in the caravan, do you know what else is in the caravan with him? this. So it's a hearkening back to what's already happened within the story. of God's about to take this caravan, this, this thing, and you know that there's redemption that is going to come from all this. They're pointing towards us, letting us know redemption is coming, even down to the silver itself that Joseph was sold for. Verse 12, take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Maybe you made a mistake, you know, like, all, maybe, who knows? Like, just take back double. Take also your brother and arise and go to the man. Verse 15, 14, I mean. So he gets this moment here, and Israel, Jacob, looking at his whole whole family, right? Like all his boys, all that he really cares, you know, what he cares about in this moment, his family. Looking at them, he says this, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man and may he send back your other brother, Simeon and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And so there's this ominous tone, this cloud that's settled over it, but right as an arrow kind of shooting in the middle of this cloud is this prayer by a father who cares about his kids. This is the reminder where we go, 
Dads, pray in power over your kids because this is what he says. He says, may God Almighty. Now this God Almighty that's here, it's El Shaddai in the scriptures. And so it's a very specific way of talking about God. And so what it's associated with is blessings, promises, and a revelation of God himself. And so what it's saying in this moment is like God's going before you, he will show up on your behalf, you can believe in him for blessing and goodness. He's saying I'm invoking the name of God, he's gonna bless your way. That's the kind of power we need to be praying with dads. And so he continues on, he says, and, and, and so Israel is sending his sons with the expectation that God would show up and show them mercy, right? This idea of mercy. Because even though we may not see God as a character acting within this specific thing, the mercy of God is over all of this, just in the same way that the mercy of God is over your life. Maybe you don't see it right now. Maybe it's not something that exactly jumps out to you, but there. And so he's sending his sons along this way and there's worry and there's doubt and there's fear, but God's going before them. So my son plays uh, flag football. He's eight years old and uh, he's got this pretty cool team set up. And so there's a couple high school boys that are in our student ministry that they're coaching the team and actually their dads are helping coach alongside them. So it's these Two dads, two boys coaching this team of like ragtag eight-year-old kids, and Coach Kevin is in here, I think. Coach Kevin, are you in here? He's in here. All right, so Coach Kevin is back there, and they have practice on Mondays, and you know, we have practice every Monday, but this Monday was a little bit special because if you remember this last Monday, it was pouring, right? And so my wife is like, hey, they're saying that practice is still gonna happen. I'm like, there's no way that practice is gonna happen. Like, this, it's pouring, and she's like, no, it's gonna happen. And I'm like, well, this is Texas, so football forever, right? No matter what, let the kids drown, who cares? So Coach Kevin's like, we're doing this. And so I'm driving the whole way there, and I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Like, I'm, like my head is over the steering wheel because I can't see as I'm driving. You know what I mean? You ever done that before? I'm like, I can't see anything. So we drive up there, and we get to Cedar Ridge, and I, and I park in like the front row. I can see the, the practice field, it's right here. It's 50 yards away or so. And when we're sitting there and I'm like, this isn't gonna happen. There's still no way that it's gonna happen. And then we get the text and it's like, okay, yeah, send them on out, we're ready to go. All right, football forever, right? So it's happening and I, I'm not prepared for this at all. I didn't bring an umbrella or a rain jacket or anything. Luckily, Judah's mom had put a rain jacket on him because I wouldn't have thought of that at all because like, we're not having practice, it's not happening. And so I'm looking at all the rain coming down and I look at my son and I, and I, t I, t I always talk to him like he's an adult. I, this is probably not a good thing, but we'll see. Well, I don't know, we'll see how he turns out. And I'm like, hey man, I, I need to tell you something. And he's like, he was like, okay. And I'm like, I love you, but I'm not getting out in the rain. Like it's not happening. I need you to walk over to the field yourself. And he goes, okay. And it, like, it looks really lost about it. I'm like, you got a rain jacket, you're fine. Like it feels, I can see it. It's, I can throw a rock and hit it. You're, you're gonna be fine. Just get out and go across. Well, this kid gets out and it's like I've dropped him off in a foreign land. He's never been to this place apparently. Like we don't, we don't go every single week. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, of course, we go here every, you know where the gate is? We walk through all the time. You've been here for weeks. And he's just like, oh, this is a whole new place. I'm in a foreign land. And so he gets out and he's just sauntering around. He's like looking. He's like, I don't know. Where's the field at? And I'm like, wait. What is happening? I'm watching this happen. And eventually he starts to move towards the gate and I'm like, oh my goodness. Well then the text thread with all the parents gets blown up and one like overbearing mom, just kidding, uh, one mom <laughs> messages and she goes, is Judah okay? He looks lost out there by himself. Like he had walked from his house with his rain jacket on. I'm in the car right here. I can, I can see the kid. Like she's like, is he okay? I'm like, 
I, I mean, I'm fairly certain he's okay. Like, I don't know, a little bit lost. He's eight, who knows? He's eight-year-old boy, he doesn't know anything. And then another dad jumps in the text thread and he's like, don't worry, we got him. We got Judah, he's here, we got him. And Because they're out in the rain, of course, I'm not. And so this is all happening. And then I get a text from uh, Judah's mom, which is also known as my wife, and she says, what is going on there? Because <laughs> she just watches the thread just blow up and she's like, what, is, did, what happened to dad? Like, where's dad at? Was Judah, he just left Judah on his own out there? And so then immediately after that, I get a text from my buddy Matt, who's also, uh, his son's on this team as well. And he's just taking a screenshot of the words that were like the text thread that's happening. And he just says, you're a horrible father underneath it. <laughs> and I was like, maybe so, maybe so. <laughs> But this is, this is him, right? Like he's sending his kids out. He's like, good luck, you know? Like, I don't know, I might see you again. Maybe not, who knows? I'm gonna pray over you in blessing, we'll see. Um, Judah survives, just, somebody asked me earlier, like, is he okay? I'm like, yeah, he's fine, what are you talking about? He's right there. <laughs> uh, anyway, so verse 15 says this. It says, so the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. And they arose and they went to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. Now, when Joseph saw Benjamin, Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house, slaughter an animal, and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and he brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money, which is replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. Like, I love the donkeys part. Like, like oh yeah, you gotta highlight the donkeys. Like, you're like, this is the worst thing. We're keeping it till last. Like the assaulting us, making us servants, all that we're fine with, but they're gonna take our donkeys? Are you kidding me right now? Like, what's going on? So <laughs> anyways, they're sent out in this place and, and they just like kind of just assume like they're done for. Like dad's prayer, forget it. Like we're done. This is all not gonna work out for any of us. We're finished. They're taking our donkeys. We're done. And so he's gotta have this moment where he's like, did you forget about us, God? Did you forget that we were here? He sent us all this way just to be seized and assaulted and taken over and all that. Where's the promise of God? Just like many of us have these moments where we just kind of pause and go, God, are you, are you in this? Are you here? Do you care? It says, so they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and they spoke with him at the door of the house. And he said, oh my Lord, we came down the, the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there, was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and our money was in full weight. And so we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put money in our sacks. And this is the little kid that's like in trouble, and they're trying to get out everything they've done, like before you can even say a word. They're like, listen, we showed up, we got the sacks, the money, we're here, and then we looked in, and there was everything, it was more than, we, we, we don't know where it came from, we don't know, we, we brought double, like they're just like, they're just starting spouting it all off as fast as they possibly can, trying to get out because they're trying to protect themselves. And then watch how God's mercy shows up in this moment. They said, he replied, this being the servant of Joseph says, peace to you. Do not be afraid, because obviously they're terrified. And so your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. And so this peace to you, this was, uh, remember this is an Egyptian guy, servant of Joseph that comes out. This is the traditional Hebrew greeting for receiving guests. And so they show up in that moment and they're expected to be you know, strung up or beat or whatever it may be. And they find peace. They find someone who is a man of peace. 
And so even this, we can see that the mercy is flowing, that God is still at work, that he hasn't forgotten, that he hasn't left completely this moment. And it's a pagan steward that has to teach them about God's provision and his mercy. You ever had a friend who doesn't know Jesus like teach you a little bit something about God, about mercy, about goodness? This is that moment for them of like they had this expectation, they'd forgotten what God was gonna do ahead of them and how he called them to himself and they had to be reminded. And so this is that reminder moment. And then verse 24, it says this. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and they had washed their feet and when they had given their donkeys, because we can't forget about the donkeys, right? Donkeys, super important, fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard that they should eat bread there. And so they had to be prepared to meet Joseph. And so verse 26 says, when Joseph came home, they brought into, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And so this welfare, this word welfare, is the Hebrew word shalom. Anybody here ever heard of shalom? Yeah, right, it's all throughout the, it's all throughout the Psalms. It's this idea of peace, this idea of prosperity, this idea of wellness, but it's really this encompassing kind of like wholeness. And so they're just asking this question of like, is he still there? Your dad's still good. And he responds in this way in verse 28, and he says, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and they prostrated themselves. So he has shalom. Like, does, your, does your dad have shalom? He does. And it's just this reminder that God's just over all of this, that he's in it, that he's working, that the shalom is there. In verse 29, and he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he says, God be gracious to you, my son. And so this God be gracious, it's the same word that's found uh, in number 625 where the prayer of blessing is said, where they say, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. There's the only two places in all the Old Testament that these words together are found, and so it's got the same kind of connotation. The thing he's doing here is he's speaking a special blessing. And so remember, just a couple of verses ago, we're coming into this and we're expecting everything to go wrong, and what we find is mercy, compassion, blessing, goodness. Verse 30. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion, which is the word for mercy. So if you look at verse 14, when they're talking about mercy, this is that same word for mercy. It grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber, and he wept there. And so his heart is growing for his brother. The mercy is just overwhelming inside of him. He has this moment where that tension, that exile, does God, does God remember me? Joseph had those moments of his own. And then on the other side of this, you've got the brothers who are wondering, is God still over us? And right in the middle of it is compassion and goodness and wholeness. Verse 31 says this. It says, then he washed his face and he came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. And they served him by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. So up to this point, remember, they don't know that it's Joseph. And so he plops them down and they're like oldest to youngest. And they're like, 
wow, this is crazy. Like, how did he know this? This is just done perfectly. Yeah, this is the exact order because they don't know yet. And so verse 34 says, portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. And so here you have this tension moment and God showing up. And it's just this reminder that the father's prayer, Israel's prayer has been answered over them every step of the way. Because it's the last thing that they expect, right? Like they're showing up expecting to be cast out. They're showing up and they're expecting in that moment to be like beat up or whatever it may be. And there is a meal before them. It's the most unexpected thing ever. And see, this is the way that the mercy of God works. Is that in our minds, especially if you're like I am, like I loop through the things that I say that are wrong or do that are wrong or whatever it may be. Like I could just like loop through those like all night long. Anybody else in here on that? Yeah. I have these moments where I just wanna be really hard on myself or like, oh, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I say this? Oh, I should've done this in this moment. And I'm really good at analyzing everything that I do wrong from time to time. And the last thing you expect is mercy. Because think about these brothers, right? They had sold their brother into slavery. And since they had sold their brother into slavery, they'd watched their father kind of like crumble. They had also seen their family fall apart. They'd seen famine. They'd seen all this. They've gone and had this experience where they come back and the money's there. And you gotta think that they're going, man, everything has not worked out from, since the moment that we sold our brother into slavery. We have brought this on ourselves. We have done this. And so they're just at their lowest point. And then there's a meal. I don't know if you caught this, but if you watch the brother's reaction throughout this entire thing, is that this is their moment for redemption. You can see their character growing. So where they would have lied before, where they lied about what they did to their brother, now they're being honest. Where they would have sent their brother down to the pit, now you've got Judah who steps in front and says, I'll take the punishment. You see compassion, you see unity among these brothers. You see God at work in this family. And so there's this redemption moment that happens and it all culminates and them sitting and having a meal with their brother that they don't know is their brother yet. You can't even begin to understand the goodness in this moment, how unexpected that it is. You see, and this is the beautiful thing about God. You know, there's one day where we will sit, all this world will pass away, it'll be done, and we'll sit down for a meal with God. We'll be with him. It'll be the best meal we've ever had, not just because it probably tastes great, but because we'll be in his presence and we'll know him. You see, the thing that makes this meal amazing is the presence of the person who's there. It's Joseph, right? It's the leaders, the person that they expected to turn against them. It's the same way when we get to have a meal with God ourselves. Is the last thing we expect is right in the middle of all this exile and this tension, this difficulty and this heartache in our lives is these moments of Eden these moments of refuge, but how God brings them over and over and over again. But oftentimes, man, we're just too stubborn to step back and recognize them. You see, there can be Eden, there can be refuge in the midst of suffering, and God will give it to you. I mean, it's essentially, it's Judah, right? He's getting out and he's wandering, not like you and I would be, you know, just wandering around, not knowing, like, oh, what's gonna happen? What's gonna go next? And people are freaking out on the text, and they're like, oh, Who's watching this little boy? He's gonna get robbed or whatever. I don't know, you know, whatever they're thinking. And I'm like, man, dad's right here. And I'm watching all of it happen. And I got it. <laughs> I'm here. He's gonna be fine. He's gonna be good. And so I, I feel like some of us in this room tonight, today, what we need to hear is just like, man, God's got you. I know all the stuff in the world is super scary and hear all the stuff about World War III and then economics. And I, I know, I know, I know, 
I know. But he's got it. He's good. He, all of it's in his hands. He sees you. He cares about you. He will protect you. And not only will he protect you, not only will he make it right, he'll have a meal with you. He'll sit down, he'll look you in the eyes, he'll eat with you, and you will experience his presence. So how can you find his presence today, right here, right now? And all the things you're going through, all the struggles, all that, his presence is the only thing that's gonna make it right. Invite his presence in today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the, the small glimpses, the small taste, small glimpses of Eden, the small taste of refuge of the table, of all the things that you offer to us today. And we say that God, uh, every, every blessing, every provision, everything that you give to us, it all pales in comparison to knowing your presence to feeling your presence. And so as a group of people in this room today who come in from lots of different places, some of us feel great in our relationship with you, some of us feel very, very far away, the promise of your presence is not exclusive to some, it's for all. So God, today, we wanna know you, we wanna walk with you, we wanna experience your mercy, and God, it's found at the table. So help us to pull up a chair and just sit with you in these moments, in these last few moments here today. We just wanna sit with you. God, maybe the most unexpected thing about you is that your presence can show up in the most unexpected of places. And so here right now today, we long for you love you and we're thankful for your goodness it's in your name that we pray